I bet you could use a real break from the routine. I mean, sometimes vacations leave you even more exhausted. That is called burnout, my friend, and I'm here to help you. This podcast is brought to you by Atlanta Wellness Retreats, which has officially launched the first mini retreat on Saturday, February 18, called Calm in the Chaos. It's going to be a powerfully restorative afternoon of connection, meditation, and movement on the Atlanta Beltline and is co-sponsored by Just Add Honey Tea Company. Be sure to say yes to doing something fun and different for yourself. Register at allisonhair.com forward slash calm. This could be the most important podcast episode I have ever done in my entire four years. You are going to want to save this episode, share it, and you might want to listen to it over and over again. And I'll tell you why. My guest today is fan favorite Cindy Robinson, who is a parent and teen coach. Today, we're talking about understanding your adolescent or teenager. You might be in the season right now, you might be preparing for it, or you certainly know someone who is. But it's no secret that the adolescent and teen years are some of the most tumultuous, wondrous, confusing, frustrating, hang on to your seats roller coaster of all time hell on earth. And we are going to help you through it. Why this podcast is so important is because the guidance and insight you'll hear today is completely flipped from the ways we were raised and the way culture is set up. Cindy has spent years poring over scientific data, research, and her experience sitting in rooms with parents and teenagers, and all of her insight will seem very different from anything we've ever learned before. I'll be honest, I entered this conversation with my arms crossed and skeptical, and then I left the conversation feeling lighter, more hopeful, more encouraged, and better equipped. But what I know is what she talks about works, and I'd recommend you listen to this with an open mind and an open heart. Let's jump in. We are back on the couch with Cindy Robinson. I feel like... I'm seeing a mirage because I've missed you so much. Cindy, welcome back to the new and improved Late Learner Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here. I really love the new name. Thank you. Today, we're talking all about understanding your adolescence. And oh my God, the feedback that I got preparing for this was like, it almost blew me over. Cindy, can you give some background on you? Um, yeah, I'm not surprised by that. First of all, um, it's not easy understanding an adolescent or we wouldn't have to have a podcast on it. Um, my background is I am a parent and teen coach. And so I do spend a lot of time serving as an interpreter between parents and their teens, um, mostly specializing in teens who are struggling with gifted kid burnout, overachievement, um, what people will call unmotivated, uh, and uh depressed sometimes teens and the parents that are trying to raise them so. and also neurodiversity is that too true yeah I mean I, I do land a pretty neurodiverse crew um, both the parents and the teens it's not necessarily something I say I specialize in um, I do specialize in the combo of ADHD and anxiety um, but when you specialize in that combo you're going to get a even wider range of neurodiverse crew but yeah isn't that everybody <laughs> is everybody neurodiverse or is it? Well, ADHD and anxiety, it feels like it is an epidemic <laughs> across the globe. It covers a larger population than, than you might think. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, first of all, I'm so grateful to have you because we've, we've done a lot of parenting um, conversations on this podcast before, always to great fanfare. And the reason for that is because, Cindy, you have a very unique approach or one that I think you say, I don't know if it's unconventional or there are methods. I don't, how do you explain it that are just not well known? They're not known enough. But when you explain it and then, you know, me being on the other side of this, applying it and it works is like, you know, I mean, you might as well be levitating to me. <laughs> but how would you describe your style? Um, I guess I would say it's it's not necessarily mainstream, um, which is why I decided to do a coaching practice and, and bypass any sort of like therapy license because I really wanted the freedom to practice in the style that I wanted to. 
Um, but really, I lean really heavily on research and brain physiology. And it just seems like for some reason, the geeks in the research lab and the therapists on the couch like weren't talking to each other. So I kind of created a little middleman position for people um, that I'm some I'm somewhere in between those two things. Mm -hmm. So here we are, it's 2023. What are you seeing on your couch today? What what are what is the challenge that people the, what is there like a main theme of challenges that have come up recently? Um, yeah, that everyone is falling apart. It's not going well. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not going well. Let's dive right in. Yeah, no, this is this is the worst um, semester of school that I've seen since I've been involved at all with uh, teens and, and mental health and parents. Um so it just seems to keep getting worse. Uh, it, things were already bad, and then the pandemic really messed everybody up. But this this semester in particular, like getting back into school this year, uh, the 2022-2023 school year, seems to be that the expectation is that everyone should perform as if the pandemic didn't happen. But yet it actually did, and it's still quite crippling. So a lot of the same, a lot of the old school pressures that weren't healthy anyway are now back on families. But um, families are, are not really doing all right, and they're not really equipped. They weren't equipped to handle that anyway, but now they're really extra not equipped. And that pressure is just um, busting at the seams, honestly. So where do you even begin? <sighs> it's an elephant, one bite at a time. I, I think when you say where do you begin, I assume you mean um, families. Like where do families mm -hmm. begin with trying to manage this situation? And I think communication and understanding how to communicate and understanding what your teens or, or adolescents behavior means is probably um, the best place to start. Yeah, here's what I would love to understand. And so this is happening a little bit in our house, but I know that I have a lot of friends and family members that have adolescents or full-blown teenagers that are really struggling with the changes. And so I'm starting to see it in my son, who's 10, where he um, is is less huggy, he's less communicative, he is fighting for his independence, he doesn't, um, you know, and, and when I'm thinking, honey, you can talk to me about anything, that's what every parent says, right? Um, but they don't want to, you become, you know, as, as my cousin has said, you, it's like a need to know basis overnight. So what happens? What is happening? <laughs> well, I'm really glad you asked that because actually a lot is happening. Um, so I think, should I explain maybe the brain Please. physiology of what's going as on? As long as it's not Huberman. <laughs> not that lengthy. If you could just decode it for me <laughs> in a way that I can understand, sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll do my best and I'll be as brief as possible. <laughs> um, but no, basically this is a window of time. Adolescence is a very specific window of time where their brains are shifting into gear to prepare for a burst of new information. Um, their bodies are preparing to be more independent. Um, they're becoming more engineered to look at same age peer relations and prioritize those a little more because if you think about the caveman days, like the parents are going to be dying off pretty soon. You know, <laughs> you got to go out there and find your own tribe. So they're supposed to be shifting um, their priorities a little more to same age peers. They're supposed to be, um, basically, they're inventing themselves. And there's a really beautiful, nerdy, geeky book called Inventing Ourselves. Um, and that's what this age is for, is they're discovering, well, who am I? They've spent the first part of their lives looking at their family unit um, and maybe some other influences and seeing, okay, this is how everybody else does it. And now this is the time to be like, well, how do I do it? And how do I relate to the world? So they're supposed to become more egocentric because they're trying to figure out who they are. They're supposed to rely more on same age peer relationships because that's who's going to carry them through the next stage of their lives. And they're supposed to basically question everything. Um, and that's where you see that frontal lobe development has slowed down a little bit. Um, and the rest, like the more impulsive parts of the brain are still devel developing at full speed. And that's because they're supposed to take chances to figure out is this, is this part of my identity or is this not? Um, and so it's, to me, it's a really exciting time to be alive um, if we don't demonize every single thing about it like we tend to do in our culture. So let me talk about the demonize because you say demonize, but 
the parents are the ones that are often demonized by the teenager. This is, or the adolescent. And this is where it's really hard. So how do you flip that? Like, I don't even know where to begin with it. Well, yeah, and this this is basically why I'm constantly saying that the parent-adolescent dynamic is designed to fail in our culture. Okay. Like, you're set up for failure. So if you feel like you're why, failing Why are you set up for failure? <laughs> because our culture is telling parents, A, everything that their child does is directly representative of how the parent is doing. Mm. Um, B, that failure means your child is on the wrong path um, you know any type of failure any poor mistake means they are immediately on the wrong path um, and see that parents should be able to do something about that and rein that in and that they do have the capabilities of doing something about their child's behavior or decisions so we're telling parents you should be able to control all of this and meanwhile, we're telling teens they should be able to control all of that because it kind of just trickles down that pressure as well as, um, you know, these mistakes that you're making are not part of becoming a good person. And these feelings that you're having are wrong or they're bad. And so uh, and that they should be replacing that with, you know, being concerned about things like academics and they should be replacing that with things like, achieve, you know, external achievements and winning awards and doing things like that. And it's all really counterintuitive to what's actually going on. So when I say it's set up to fail, it's because we tell parents to tell our teens to do things that are completely against what they're supposed to be doing and how their brain and body is actually developing. So we put them in a combative role with one another right from the start. But if we're talking about the expectations around you do still need to go to school <laughs> You do still need to communicate with your family. You do still need to live under the roof. You know, what, what, what is an ideal state? Like, how do you start to transition what, um, what the platform looks like for them to, do we just let them fail? Do we, you know, I think the part that is so hard is when your parents, are, your parents, your kid is telling you, I hate you, or saying you're the worst, Mom, you don't understand anything. And you start to believe it because you hear it over and over and over again. So that aggression is directed towards the parent. And it's it's hard to make executive level decisions, you know, on what do you do? Okay, fine. I don't know. Yeah, when you see that kind of dynamic where the kid's anger is mostly directed at you as the parent, that usually is an indicator that, that you have accidentally, I'm assuming, ended up as an obstacle between your child and their growth. And what I mean by that is we have humans trying to become fully grown humans, right? And in everybody has different traits and they have to kind of cut their teeth on those traits. So if you have a, a, a child with a highly sensitive trait, you know, that child is going to have to learn a lot of tough lessons about how to not be too sensitive, but they're not going to have to learn a whole lot of lessons about being sensitive to others' needs, right? Um, so whatever trait your child has, they've got to bump into the boundaries of how to express that trait in a healthy way and when it starts to become unhealthy for them. What that looks like is making lots and lots of mistakes and having lots and lots of obstacles. So because parents are told they're a protector, right, that you're supposed to protect your children, we tend to stand in the way between them and those natural consequences. So our children, let's say, um, you know, are going to wear something that you think is going to get them ostracized at school. And when you see them come downstairs in it, you're, you're, you feel it is your duty as a parent to say, you're not leaving the house dressed like that. <laughs> or, mm -hmm. um, you know, everybody is going to think something about you if you wear that or bring to their attention. Do you know how that looks or how that's perceived? Um, and now you just placed yourself in front of the natural consequence and you made yourself the obstacle. Now you are the, in their mind, you're just standing in between them and a great life because they didn't get to find out what would happen if they wore that outfit to school. Maybe they would get ostracized and maybe they would learn that lesson. And then you would be a safe place to fall when they get home and be like, I'm so sorry that, you know, people judged you and I'm so sorry that sucks. What do you, you know, what do you need? What can I do? 
Instead, you've become the obstacle. And now they just see it as, you know, oh, oh, mom, and like, little do you know. And so that happens all the time. And parents don't realize it, how much they caution their kids, how much they try to protect their kids. So can you give me some more examples of that? Because I, I believe that wearing something and maybe cautioning, but I imagine there are probably some things that we might do as parents that are far more common that we're not like, catching. <laughs> uh, yeah, every, grades, being on them about grades, making sure they turn their homework in all the time, especially if you're talking about an adolescent, like you should be pretty hands off with all that. So managing How do you do that. How do you do that? Especially if you have kids that are attention deficit, you know, like, and are just distracted. They're on my, you know, they're playing Fortnite or whatever it is. Like, how do you do that? Yeah, those, those kids need longer to, to learn those things. So, so let me say, because this always ends up going down a path of like, where does it end? Do I just let my kid do whatever exactly. they want? Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm in there. I'm in the, I'm in the boxing ring with you, Cindy. Yes. I don't understand. You're not the only one. So um, when it, here's a couple of things parents need to know when uh, making these types of parenting decisions about like when to set a boundary and when to let them suffer their own natural consequences. One is that it's very important. So like to me, I assume it is a parent's priority that they have a relationship with their child long term. Like I assume that that is important to a parent. And so it's very, very important that parents know that a relationship with any person, but your child included, is not sustainable if it has higher than a five to one positive interaction to negative interaction ratio. We're all screwed. <laughs> well, I don't think you are. All right. I don't think you are. It's just, it, that's what I mean. So that hopefully brings into perspective, we have to pick and choose battles. And just to call parents to question is like when, when I say, you know, don't get involved in school and you immediately go to like, they have to go to school. Mm -hmm. Okay. The boundary could be, you have to go to school, pick that battle. You know what I'm saying? Like pick the battle. Cause you'll get arrested. If, if not, it impacts your life if they don't make that choice to go to school, but you don't have to pick the battle of having them show you their homework every night before they turn it in. You don't have to pick the battle of getting grade notifications for every grade that comes in and saying something to them about anything less than an A. Or you don't have to question them about, you know, any time anything happens in school that, uh, you know, that, that's anything new or different about their, their patterns and grades or whether or not they should take AP courses and all these types of things, like all those millions of conversations you can be hands off about those and your boundary could just be go and pass. And if you reduce your level of, cause first of all, you don't have as much control over that as you think. So you're wasting your breath. Can you explain that further? Because I'm feeling all kinds of resistance <laughs> on this and not understanding. <laughs> explain why you don't have like as much control as you think you have. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, I can. So, We've talked about genetics and, mm -hmm. and, and uh, nature versus nurture, right? So not to repeat that whole thing, but by the time you're an adult, if your parents weren't traumatic and abusive, they have about roughly like a 10% piece of the pie of how they influence their child. You have a 50% genetic responsibility there, but you can't do much about that. But as far as like your active responsibility, if you're not traumatizing your kid, you're not controlling that much about who they are. They're share, you're sharing that with the internet, with their friends, with their teachers, with their, you know, with so many other influences. So A, just to think that you could control that piece of the pie more than you really do, keep, you know, you got to keep that in mind. Also, don't confuse controlling a child's behavior in the moment with teaching them any sort of life lesson or, or insightful uh, nugget. What do you mean? If you make your child make the right decisions, you know, you make your child do all the homework and turn it all in on, on time, for example, all you've really taught them is that they need someone to control their behavior. And 
they'll lose either faith in themselves to do something on their own. This is what that looks like long term. Or they just learn to listen to the most commanding voice in the room. And this, these are not the qualities that we want our kids to have as adults, unfortunately. Like, that's great when you have their best interest in mind and it gets stuff done and it gets them to perform in the way that you want them to perform. But long term, you're just looking at a kid who has sort of defaulted, either believes like someone else has to tell me what to do. I'm not capable on my own or just find the loudest voice in the room and listen to it. And somebody without their best interest in mind will come along and take advantage of that about them. So let's talk about homework for a second. Where Where is the difference between creating a habit and a pattern so they know that you get home, you do your homework, and then you can play. Then you can go on, um, play video games or whatever. At what point is it okay to release the reins and say, you can do this versus setting up a, a habit of that or do you just let them fail and realize that they're flunking out you know yeah there's no. a lot of expectation around college grades and all of those things too that are wrapped into it yeah and I think you know how I feel about that and this is how we got in this position is more people started going to college colleges got harder to get into for some reason we think that if it's harder to get into it's better mm-hmm. um and that it's mandatory that our child go to college to be successful and so that ripple effect has us now totally stressed out and like there's no room for failure during a period in life where failure is literally part of figuring out who they are so that's just my side beef with that mm-hmm. but <laughs> but that's what i mean we, we have to calm down like our kids having meh grades is not the worst thing that can happen to them. And so there are no more B students. And this is one of the big what problems. What do you mean? How does that mean? The B student is dead. That, that, what? Ki- that kid is either burnt out and now he's a, he's a barely passing, maybe failing student. Or that kid is a freaking stressed out A student who's never going to feel like they're good enough. I mean, there's just no more. The B students are all burnt out or stressed out. And that's just... That's just the truth of the matter. Hmm. Like, there's just not any regular old students anymore. It's not good enough anymore. B is like the new C. So, anyway, you asked me about homework. <laughs> you see, I'm so I'm fired up about this and not at parents. I'm fired up that we allow this lie to continue, and your relationship could be so much easier with your teen than it than it is. Um, and that's it's part of getting looking at this like we're both victims here. Mm. You know, like this sucks for both of us and we both got lied to. Mm. <clears throat> but uh, what did you ask me about homework? homework. I totally like, forgot. What, what, <laughs> at what point do you, are oh. you helping to establish a habit? <laughs> and this is the thing, right? This is the lie. We tell parents that if they just make their child do it long enough, they'll eventually do it with no, there's no room for error, right? So they know, like, you just keep helping them until they do it just the way you taught them to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's bullshit. That's not how it works. So when it comes to teaching your child stuff, start as early as possible. And first you model it. And that is like, you know, sit down, do your homework, you know, the whole thing that you're still doing when they're, you know, 16 years old, or a lot of parents are still doing but that should start way younger, elementary school, like sit down and, and do your homework or whatever. And then you kind of, you're around, but you, you they are leading the way, you know, so you see if they do it and you ask them about it. And then you're not really checking all the answers. You're just kind of like, okay, you did it. Put it in your backpack. And then there is the part where you let go and they take over and they may or may not take all of the suggestions that you have given them through your example. And that is how they learn. Because when they don't, and when you said ADHD kids, these kids need this even more. They need more time to learn these lessons. Hmm. So let it go. Let them fail. Because in reality, what really happens when they don't turn in their homework is they get embarrassed by the teacher. The teacher says something to them or their friends say something to them, especially if you're starting this earlier on. And they have natural consequences. The grade drops. 
the, the social judgment. And now your kid can come home and A, that probably teaches them the lesson, especially if you're starting that earlier on. But whatever happens out there, those natural consequences, now you can be the safe place to fall. You know, instead of the nag and instead of the person saying, get it done, let me see it, I don't believe you. And now you're just, you're telling them you're a liar, you're telling them they're not capable, you're mm-hmm. just telling them all these things. And you're not going to be friends with that person who's saying that to you. Mm-hmm. Now you are the person who's just like, that sucks. Yeah, I guess you do kind of have to do the homework. Do you have a plan? Do you need help? And, and take like shifting the d- dynamic more like that. Does that m- make sense? That sounds like a cool parent that I don't know that I possess at all <laughs> in, in my whole uh, toolbox, but it sounds nice. And I, I wonder about the communication as well. So as the kids start to redirect their attention towards their peer groups, towards their own internal investigation of whatever that looks like, you know, I, I think about the privilege that I have to drive my kids right now and and that they are under our, our wing and they still love us and still think we're amazing and they still like to hang out with us and that is at some point is going to go away. How do you protect, you know, somebody said it's like a long breakup with your teenager. How do you protect that relationship? Uh, Well, I mean, like the five to one ratio before where you realize I've got to have better interactions with this person. Um, And the the perspective really shifting to instead of like I've got to guide and mold and lead and teach, shifting more into I get to bear witness. I get to bear witness to this human becoming who they are. And I'll tell you one of the biggest things that parents lose that... (laughs) Sorry. <laughs> Hopefully I'll remember to cut this out. <laughs> Jeez. That was chaotic. Yeah. It's still chaotic. <laughs> As is parenting adolescence. Yes. Continue. One of the things that messes up that dynamic between parents and their kids faster than anything is parents lose faith that this kid's going to be all right, that they're mm. going to figure it out. Mm. Yeah. And I guess the challenge is determining, is this normal or is this a signal? So let's say the kids' grades drop or all of a sudden they're in the room all the time, they won't come out. And how do you detect what is normal, especially if you are trying to repair the relationship, this five to one ratio of good interactions? How do you begin to repair it? Or even acknowledge something maybe deeper here. Yeah, and I think that's the thing is like how things become so conflict, like combative between parents and their teens. And we get into this belief that every every dialogue with them has to be combative. But we don't have to show up like that. And it it is our duty. I wish it wasn't. It is asking more of us than it is of them, but... The truth is, between this dynamic, one of us chose to have this relationship, and the other one did not choose it. And we chose for them to be here, and they did not choose that. Also, they don't have the fully developed brain, you know? They're Mm -hmm. missing a whole lot of that frontal lobe logical thinking. We have it. So it has to land on us to be the bigger person. We have to do more work than they're doing. So if you find yourself check and balancing, like, Oh, well, I don't have to do that because they, they don't do that. Um, it's not, it's, this is an unfair relationship. It always was. It always is. Like you said, it is a long breakup. We knew when we had them, we would be saying goodbye. We, mm-hmm. we don't have other relationships like that mm-hmm. where, oh, we're going to get more distant with time. That's not how other relationships work. But this one does. And that just freaking sucks. And you can sit and wallow in it like for sure. There are times where I'm just heartbroken over the fact that that's what's happening with our son. Mm-hmm. But if I live there and if I don't believe in that kid, then that's where I'm going to stay. And if we don't know how to feel those types of sad feelings, it's going to come out as anger. And so that's what I'm talking about, about that core belief that this person's going to be okay. And when you suggest that 
them struggling or having mm-hmm. mental illness or something like that means they're not going to be okay. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Hmm. That's what messes parents up. Your child struggling in adolescence, your child being depressed, your child having anxiety, your child having anger or behavioral issues does not mean that they're not going to be okay. And it's the minute that you stop believing it, that's when you're going to really see things fall apart. And I really call parents to rally, like check yourselves and get back to when you knew you knew this was a beautiful child. You knew this person was amazing and re nurture that flame because if it dies out that you're there's no relationship possible how can you have a relationship with someone who does not believe in you and these things they're going through are perfectly normal this is this is the abnormal is normal in adolescence so please be like the one person at least that believes they're gonna figure this out they're gonna be okay I, I just need to ask them what they need. I need to find out. Like I, I'll hope any way I can. It's not always going to be sunshine and rainbows, but they're going to be okay. I'm, I feel like I'm, my tears are going to well up with this because it, uh, it just seems so hard to figure out. And I wonder, you know, like it, it's so easy as a parent to catastrophize the moment you see struggle that are they going to, you know... I was watching, have you watched Ginny in Georgia? No. Ginny, it's so good. You've got to see it. You've got to see it. It's, I, I don't know how to do it, but they, they do, um, it, it's a mother daughter team. The, do- the daughter is 16 years old and is kind of totally in this. And the mom is like a single mom trying to, you know, kind of run a scam to like protect her children, you know, and do all this stuff. Um, but there's a lot of self harm. And so this is one of the shows that's like even bigger than Stranger Things, you know, kids are watching it, kids are watching the self-harm, you know, and so even me, I'm watching this going, oh my God, if I knew my kids were seeing this, would they get ideas from it, you know, like would that sound like a good idea? So immediately I'm catastrophizing, my kids aren't watching this for God's (laughs) sakes, but eventually they will see a program that is like that, you know? And so I guess I wonder how, how do I know they're going to be okay? How do I try? You know, of course they're beautiful kids. And, uh, I guess I don't, I'm, I'm not ready to let them fall that hard, you know? And that's the assumption that you can prevent it, right? Like mm. you can prevent them from falling hard. And mm. that's the thing, the protection, the mm-hmm. idea that we gave parents that they're there to protect and they should be able to protect. It's not real. It's not true. And particularly by adolescents, that's, that's not a realistic expectation. And it's what makes you um, suffocate them. They feel like a lot of the, the, the behaviors that parents see from their kids because they're feeling suffocated and they're feeling trapped and they're feeling like they don't have any control over their lives. And so they're ugly and they're nasty and they lash out because they suck at articulating themselves. They suck at it. So how they deliver the message blows, but the message that they're delivering, there's something legitimate there. And you want to look at what it is they're communicating, not how they're communicating it. But this belief that you're going to protect them is just, it's not real. Mm. I'm not going to be able to protect my son. I haven't. He's gotten hurt. He's gotten into pickles. We've, we've had moments where we're sitting on the couch going, what did we do wrong? We could not have prevented that from happening. And now I could not be more grateful that those moments happened. Because here's what parents really, really, really need to listen to. How our kids remember us. When you're thinking about like, how, how are they going to remember me? How is this relationship going to end up? What is, where is this in the end? What kind of parent am I going to be reflected on as? The answer to that question, I am telling you after talking to plenty and plenty and plenty of teens and plenty and plenty of former teens is how we showed up when they failed. Hmm. It's, that's it. And is it a game of pylon or not? How do you mean? pile on of like they're getting in trouble from the school they're getting in trouble from the principal their teacher their friends are mad at them and because of all that because they're failing in school parents are piling on as well so what is the better 
safe place to fall. You know, you've said this, Cindy, all the time that our only job as a parent is to give them a safe place to fall. But in practice, what does that look like? Well, and I say and set boundaries. And set boundaries. Okay. <laughs> so what is important. That, what it is. What does that look like in, in practice? In real life is when you find out your kid sent the nudes, when you find out your kid um, self-harms, when you find out your kid... Um, is is the bullying, whatever it might be. How do you show up? And how you show up is by their side. You don't say it's fine what happened or it's okay what you did. You say, what's going on? How can I help? I love you still. I, I'm here for you. I am still in your corner and nothing you can do is going to change that. So what what do we do from here? And it's a much more collaborative I believe in you. And that's where that belief that they're going to figure life out. These are good eggs. These kids are good eggs. Mm. And you have to believe that. If you don't, who is going to? Where are they going to get the belief that they're anything worth anything if no one believes it? If everybody thinks that they're a hot mess. So at least be the one. And I've done it. I've had to sit on the couch thinking, oh my God, I cannot believe my kid did this. And I had to say, it, this, is, this is adolescence. This is what it looks like. You made a mistake. What do, we, what do we do now? What do we do now? Not how could you, what were you thinking? You could have ruined your life. I don't do all that. <coughs> I mean, so safe place to fall is the main priority is are you okay? Mm. No matter what they did. Are you okay? What's going on? How can I help? Let's talk about different parenting styles. So let's say, aside from both parents listening to this podcast, how do you, how do you parent a kid when your spouse or partner does it completely different or undermines it or doesn't agree with uh, or even doesn't hold the boundaries? You know, what happens when they're completely disparate? I mean, that makes everybody's job harder when y'all aren't on the same page. Um, but, but as far as, um, you know, that makes things more chaotic. But uh, you can still preserve your relationship with your child, you know, and you can still be very clear about if you feel like this is the, the right way to support this person, you know, then you just kind of have to support that person in that way. And hopefully your spouse or, or ex-partner sees that and is inspired by it or sees that it's helping the relationship or something. But either way, you kind of got to have to stay the course. It, it, they don't always, especially men, I have to say, like they really aren't, that doesn't come as naturally to them to be mm -hmm. a safe place to fall. But this seems, all of this seems like not natural for all of us. <laughs> I'm just saying for yeah. <laughs> speaking on behalf of mothers, mm -hmm. <laughs> whether I'm right or not, this doesn't seem as natural. And I know through some of our conversations that we've had, I've adjusted a lot of parenting with my kids and it's made a world of difference. I would love to get a peek of what it's like when you're in session with a teenager. Um, what do they share with you? What do they want? Oh, yeah. So... I literally did a, a personal study on this where I asked all the teenagers that I work with the same question. And it was, what do you wish your parents knew? And I mean, it was really consistent that they wish their parents knew that they're doing the best that they could. And like that they make mistakes and they're human too. And that they, they don't, they don't want to be like the difficult teens, especially who are a little bit harder to love. They don't want to be like that any more than you want them to be like that. But they don't know how else to communicate. And mm. so nine times out of 10, the teens that I see who are really struggling. Um, so I don't I don't have like easy cases. They are doing the best that they can. And when they have better tools, they'll use better tools. And I say that about everything from being combative to self-harming. I mean, it's pretty common, self-harm. Mm. Um, for this culture, this, it's very, very common. And uh, I always say to them, when they open up to me and let me know that they're self-harming, 
when you have a better tool, you'll use the better tool. I don't say, so you got to stop. What are you thinking? What are you doing? I say, when you have a better tool, you'll use the better tool. But what's a better tool? Learning to feel their feelings. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. Just That's a powerful one. Can we let that one breathe for a second? Sure. What does it feel like? What does it look like to allow a teen to feel their feelings? Well, I mean, I think we have to think about what it would feel like for us to be allowed to feel those feelings. Yeah, let's go back to that. <laughs> <laughs> let's start there. <laughs> I think we're quick. And this is, you know, this has just been a generational issue. Like, we definitely weren't allowed to feel ours. Um, and so we want to fix. We want to jump into fix mode yeah. real, real quickly. And so with our kids, it's the same thing. We don't want to see them sad. We don't want to see them angry. So we do things like give in to the anger or try to fix the sadness. And really, it's just okay to feel those feelings and to just sit in them and just trust that your body is going to return you back once it's processed, whatever it is that, that triggered that feeling. Does it help when a parent says to somebody, a, a child that maybe doesn't really want to hear from their parent, does it help to hear, it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to explore it. I understand you're angry. Feel it. Yeah, that doesn't hurt. But I'll, I'll tell you the number one thing mm. that a parent Give who it to me. has a tumultuous relationship yeah. with their child, where they really should start is vulnerability on their own part. Um so the best way to start reversing that dynamic of combativeness, and I'll be honest with you, this is a two-person relationship, so you could do all the work in the world, and I can't guarantee your kid is going to respond to it. Mm -hmm. They could be adamantly, you know, just opposed to that relationship ever working, and if that's what they've decided, there's nothing, there's no tool in the world that's going to reverse that. But to best set yourself up for that outcome of, of reversing the conflict and the constant, you know, just negative feelings towards each other is to start being vulnerable, to start sharing how scared you feel, to start sharing all why your kid, what your kid is triggering about you. Because I'll tell you, it probably is triggering something about you. A lot of us learn to hate ourselves during adolescence. And you'll see your child doing a perfectly normal behavior that you also did during adolescence. And it's when you learn to hate yourself and you see them mm. doing it and you start getting crazy trying to stop them from being like you, stop them from making the same mistakes you did. And you'll find yourself really acting out of character um, because you're being triggered by that. And so starting to identify those triggers and starting to identify what you're really feeling and sharing that instead of the lectures, instead of the, you know, little dialogues you read in books, start sharing like the worst mistakes you ever made, the things that you're the most ashamed of, the darkest moments in your life. If you start telling them those stories and rolling over and showing your belly, you know, the belly of vulnerability, come on in and kick me. I'm telling you, it is your best chance mm. at re reversing that tide. Oh my goodness. What about, that? that's really good. What about screen time? <laughs> We've done full episodes on this. You can go back. I forget what episode it is. It's Teens and Screens that uh, that we've done with Cindy and Rob Roseman, who oh, yeah. is, yeah, he is uh, the podcast host of WTF Divorce. He's cool. <laughs> yeah, he sure is. Um, so we did a really deep dive on that. But I'm thinking about, you know, kids are on their phones so much. And so they're not necessarily engaging with the parents. You know, and so um, it has come up like in the car, you know, it's like the one time you kind of have them trapped and want to talk to them, but they're buried in their phones as well. So, you know, like how, how do you kind of manage the boundaries around phone timing as it relates to communication with you or with the family? Yeah, I'll try to kind of keep it reined into like school like screens and how they might impact your dynamic with your child. Cause like you said, they can go find out like, I don't know, safety and all those things, but 
the thing the first thing we have to do is respect the fact that their virtual worlds are very much their real worlds to them it's it's not fake to them you know culturally mm-hmm. this is and, and the, we have to take a little ownership of how it got like this because we stopped letting kids go outside on their own we stopped letting them free play we stopped like we took the outside world the real world away from them mm. and then we handed them screens and we didn't monitor them we gave them like free reign of a virtual world and so teens are going to go where they're free so i highly encourage if you could nip this in the bud or like start your culture this way is to have a free real world like have the the reins as loose as possible in the real world to encourage them to go into that pasture and have much more restrictive reins on the virtual world earlier on. Wow. Because they, they're going to go where they're free. And I promise you what they're going to find in the real world is a whole lot better than what they're going to find in the virtual world. Um, what if they're already down that path? Yeah, they are probably are. Uh, that's back to respect that it's real. Mm-hmm. Respect that that's their real life. That's not, don't say like, those aren't your real friends or the, I'm right in front of you. Like those kind of comments are really dismissive to a very real life. Like mm. you wouldn't want them to come up to you and be like, um, you're fake friends and say things like that about your, your friends, right? So respect that that's real for them. And so if interrupting their text chat is interrupting a conversation that they're having and respect that that is really how that is. We created this dynamic, so deal with it. Like, I mean, by adults is what I mean by we created it, big tech especially. But um, so respect that. So make sure you're taking that into consideration when you're having the conversations you're, you're having with them. And so just like you would if they were going to have a group of friends over, if they had a car full of friends and they were all chatting it up, would you really be like, excuse me, excuse me, you know, I want to talk about your day or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if there was some kind of like conversation about it, collaboration, like, hey, I, I would like to have time to start connecting with you. Um, when would be the best time for you for us to connect? Like, would it be bedtime? Would it be in the car? Would it be, you know, once a week date? Like, what would work for you? And then they're going to be much more invested in that then. So, like, you're, you're not as much in competition with the screens as much as you are asking for some of their time so they can put aside their virtual world to hang out with you. Mm. So I always ask you, what do you know that you wish other people could know? Which this whole episode has been this, but <laughs> any, any parting thoughts? Yeah, it's two things. One is, especially when you're talking about digitally, mm-hmm. like, like their digital lives and, and, and things like that. You want to think of childhood and parenting and all that is you always want to have the tightest reins first and slowly loosen them. So putting the genie back in the bottle is not how it goes. And like most parents are like, oh, here's your iPad and like run free on it because you're not going to get into anything. And then suddenly they want like, you know, protection software once you get caught, like looking at something sketchy. Mm-hmm. And so you really want to have all the that safety software and monitoring and all that stuff early on. And then you want to slowly loosen the reins. Um, another thing I see parents do is they're, they're like not really paying much attention to what their kids are doing. And then, at 16, they get Life 360, and they're tracking their every move because now they're driving, and yeah. it's terrifying. But that's, again, like you want to loosen the reins, and that's the real world. So I'm actually not a fan of tracking devices on kids. My kid's 15. When he's 16, I will not have Life 360. As long as he shows up and he seems to be being the person that he tells us he's being, and then we don't see any suspicious behavior or feel a different vibe off him I'm not gonna track where he's going I'm is going that to hard trust for you or no yeah it's hard it's this is all hard it's easier said than done but I know what the consequences look like I see it all the time so that helps keep me in check that like don't track the kid <laughs> because what I, are the consequences of tracking your kid they don't feel trusted they feel suffocated you're, you're once again putting yourself as the obstacle between them and freedom um, and then they just, it's just distrusted kids just become untrustable kids. Like they'll just show up and be what you think they're going to, going to be. Mm. So my best bet is to trust him and, and let him lose that trust. And even when he loses it though, it's not about anger. It's about what's going on. 
What do you need? This is part of adolescence is failure. The last thing is communication. And why is it my kid telling me things? Why aren't I mm-hmm. open it? Why are they a closed book? And that is a little bit tied to the vulnerability I said before. If you can't expect your kids to tell you everything and you're not telling them everything. And I think a lot of us don't want to be honest about mm-hmm. that. We do not. Yeah, that you were caught in the bushes <laughs> with, with your bra over your head. <laughs> right. Well, and even that, like, in this very moment, I have no idea what I'm doing as a parent. Like, right now, I don't know what I'm doing. Right now, I'm terrified. Right now, I hope it works out, but I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so being more transparent about that is going to allow them to be a little more transparent because if you're just sort of lecturing, if you're trying to show them a model adult, like I'm modeling for them what I would want them to be, it's just not very fun. Mm. Like you're just not very relatable and you're definitely not who I'm calling in a pickle. But if I know you've been there too, if I know you know what it feels like to be insecure or you know what it feels like to be bullied or I know what you know what it feels like to be a bully, like whatever it might be, you're probably the person I'm more likely to go to. Mm. To be like, I suck at this too. We all like we're all in this together. We all suck. Yeah. Everybody sucks. Nobody knows what they're doing. (laughs) Nobody knows. (laughs) Cindy, how can people get in touch with you or work with you? Um, well, since I'm not really on social media anymore, oh, I'm still upset over this. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, now it's the old fashioned way. And that's email. You can find uh, like my email and everything else on my website, which is Cindy Robinson, LLC.com. Well, I love what you're doing. Thank you so very much for coming back and talking about this very important topic and blowing all of our minds. I know. Thank you. Because this was not easy <laughs> to hear. I think a lot of it. So I'm sorry. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. I am so grateful for Cindy Robinson and her sage advice. This will give you so much to think about and rethink about how we understand our children. I hope you'll share this far and wide because if this is the truth, these methods need to be amplified by us, by you, the listener, to change the culture, to have these conversations in your own circles, to change the culture and help our families heal in a healthier way. I've linked all of Cindy's information in the show notes. And if you found value in this, I encourage you to support this show, Late Learner, and to help me bring more episodes like this. You will get all episodes ad-free and early, plus bonus content for only a few bucks a month at patreon.com forward slash late learner. I also encourage you to sign up for the Atlanta Wellness Retreat called Calm in the Chaos. It's the Atlanta Beltline Mini Retreat on February 18th in Atlanta at allisonhair.com forward slash calm. I'm also excited that I have a new offering for busy professionals, entrepreneurs, and creatives to have a free 20-minute call to help you co-design a new plan of wellness focusing on amplifying your very best you. Everything is at alisonhair.com. Be good to yourself so you can be better for others. I'll see you on the socials before I see you on the pod next week.